You know, we're really here because this moment we're celebrating is uh, this powerful collision of the power and the love of God, the most radical expression of love the world has ever actually known or ever seen. And that's what we all want, right? Everyone just is desperate to be loved. That's what we all want. Everyone, we just want to be loved, so desperate. And there's 10,000 ways and 10,000 places we will try to reach and find acceptance. We, uh, we say words like acceptance or value or worth, or we use those things, but ultimately all we really want is to be loved. It's so deeply woven into the human DNA. It was actually like uh, back in 1992, forever ago, there was an author named Dr. Gary Chapman. He wrote a book uh, it sold more than 20 million copies. 20 million copies. Anybody know what the book was? Five, five Love Languages. That's it, right? And so uh, this book called Five Love Languages, certainly uh, it's not the definitive note on what it looks like to love, but he just tried to put in real easy, simple terms, meaningful ways that people experience Love, meaningful ways that people experience love. And so he gave us these five ways, and they are quality time, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch, all right? Now, quick straw poll. Uh, how, many of, uh, how many quality time people in here? How many of my quality time people? Quality time, okay. All right, these are the people that are gonna hold you after service, so watch out. Okay, uh, words of affirmation. Who enjoys getting words of affirmation? All right, all right. Say sweet things on your way out the door. All right, gifts. Gifts, who are my gifts people? Like giving, receiving gifts? Yeah, all the kids are like, gifts. <laughs> we love it, gifts, all right, all right. Easter basket, you're my Easter basket people. Acts of service, love it. People doing things for you, acts of service, good. Hey, by the way, speaking of acts of service, yesterday uh, we had an unbelievable brunch and hunt and had so many people uh, just giving of their time, energy, and effort, and just love you guys. I felt loved yesterday by your acts of service. And uh, physical touch, where are my huggers at, all right? They're coming for you after service, okay? All right, so all great ways, all really meaningful, all we're trying to find is, hey, how can we receive and experience love? And what these five things did is say, hey, you know, we gotta move, we get to move past like the big, grandiose things. We just want those meaningful, thoughtful things, it's the small things, sometimes the behind the scenes things that really actually matter. They really actually mean something. Right now I have on my desk a, a little note um, that my daughter gave to me like two weeks ago. I don't want to cry about it, but she just gave me a little note. I could, she, I, listen, you give me $10 million, I wouldn't care. What I love is this little note that my daughter gave to me. It's like means the world to me. So just sitting on my desk and I just read it all the time because she thinks I'm the greatest and I think that's awesome. And, um, and so it's those little things, right? It's the little thing that actually means something. I just want to take a moment this morning. We're focusing on the most grand thing that has ever happened in human history to express the radical love of God. And yet there's, these, there's a couple of small little things in this story that mean the world. And I just wanna take a minute to look at it in Mark chapter 15, which is, we're gonna read two sentences, and this story is so much broader, greater, grander than anything we could capture in a 30-minute window on a Sunday morning, but 
We're coming up in Mark 15 on the dying son of God who's hanging on the cross. And right at this moment of death, we get a small glimpse, one tiny sentence, one little sentence that has more meaning than we could ever fully pull out of it even this morning. Mark chapter 15, verse, we're just gonna start in verse 37. Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last. Verse 38, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And that's all we get. It's recorded in Matthew. It's also recorded in Luke. And each time we just get one small sentence that says that the temple curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom. Curtain, if you're wondering, what is the curtain? The curtain is the veil of separation between mankind and the holy of holies. I don't know if you've ever seen or a picture or a rendering of what Herod's temple actually looked like. We have a picture of it for you to see this massive, grandiose scale. You can see, if you, if for all of you that have x-ray vision, you can see up in the corner of the a football field how massive this whole place was. And the, you can see the large structure there, the holy place. And number three there, a very tiny little number three there shows where this massive curtain hung between and separating the rest of the temple and the holy of holies or the most holy place. That was supposedly where the presence of God lived. And no one could go into the holy of holies except for one time a year. The high priest could go into the holy of holies and he had to make atonement and sacrifice for his own sins so he didn't get struck down. And then he had to come in and make atonement for the sins of all the people. And this was over and over being done in order to make right the deep, broken sin that we all carry. But this veil stood before the presence of God and the people. And the veil is what signified we're separated from God because of our sin that we've been radically broken. And the truth is, is we all know it. We all know it. We've all felt it. We've all experienced it. And so this massive curtain is the representation of our own brokenness, keeping us from the presence of God and the fullness with him. By the way, just so you know, and it's not in the scripture, but from what we know from uh, tra tradition and what we actually know from other ancient writings, this curtain was 60 feet high 20 feet across and four to six inches thick. All right, this isn't like your, your granny's flower curtains, all right? This is a wall of separation. Can't get into the one who made us. And I love the description. It says, God took this curtain and ripped it from the top to the bottom, meaning if men were gonna try to rip it, how'd they do? They grab it from the bottom and try to rip it up. no. It ripped from the top to the bottom. This was an act of God to begin to say something to you, a little something. See, Jesus was hanging on the cross, and that's powerful. I don't think we could, we'll never exhaust the power of what God did in Christ on the cross. But when God rips this veil, there's something deep, deep, deep in his heart he wants to say to you and me. 
And what he wants to say is, listen, in Christ, there is nothing, nothing, nothing in all creation that can separate you now from the power and presence of God. Nothing. You and I have full access, unfettered access, meaning in Christ, God would stand before every one of us today and ask the question, what is keeping you from me? What would keep you from me? What veil, what curtain stands in your life that would keep you from full and open access to my heart for you? He's asking that question of me and us, each one of us this morning. See, in Christ, the temple, was, the temple curtain was torn because God was saying, I'm done with the old religious ways. I'm doing a brand new thing. Why him tearing the curtain saying, you don't need a high priest to go in on your behalf anymore because Hebrews chapter nine, Jesus is your high priest. Jesus is the high priest who goes in before you. He's gonna take you and me into the holy of holies, into the presence of God. He's saying, I'm not asking you any longer to bring sacrifices. Why? Because Jesus is the sacrifice. He is, Revelation chapter five, the lamb that was slain, the perfect spotless one who gave his life for ours. He's the sacrifice. It's like, I'm not asking you to come into the temple anymore. Why? Because Jesus is the new temple. He is the holy of holies. And he went into that place for us. John chapter two, Jesus, the other time, by the way, that we see Jesus at this temple. John chapter two, he goes in and they're making a mockery of the power and presence of God. The the religious elites are taking advantage of all the people. They're selling their sacrifices and they're swindling people out of money. And he goes, you've made this place a den of robbers and he's turning over tables and he's angry and they're going, who are you to come in here and bust up this religious thing we got going that makes us feel great about ourselves, this construct we've created to feel good about ourselves. And Jesus says, let me tell you something about this temple. He says, in three days, this will be torn down in three days. I'll raise it again. They go, dude, they literally say, it's been 46 years this temple has been being built. How on earth in three days are you gonna raise this thing? And he, he, he's going, and he says in his own heart, he goes, I'm the temple. And in three days, I will rise. That's what he was saying. Revelation chapter 21 Verse 22, and I saw, no, this is, by the way, this is where we're all headed. This is heaven. This is where we're headed. And I saw, this is John's vision in Revelation. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. In the age to come, there is no temple. Why? He's the temple. He's the holy of holies. He's the righteous place. And he's inviting every one of us into the fullness of it. Right now, Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the temple. He's the answer. And the God of the universe is ripping the curtain to invite you to nearness with him. That's what he wants. He's calling you and me 
to a deep place with him, not to stay on the outskirts or say that we showed up to a good Easter service, but to be able to come into the fullness of life and a relationship with the God of the universe. You know, one of the realities is that they built that temple. The truth is, is for 400 years, no one had ever even heard. No, more, no one had heard from a prophet. We're not even really sure if God's presence was actually there anymore. In fact, we know that Herod built that massive temple mostly for his namesake. It was actually known as Herod's temple. It's this construct that he was trying to create. Let's see if we can somehow make ourselves okay, make ourselves good enough or religious enough so that we can have kind of good standing with the people and good standing with God. It's the easiest thing in the world for us to try to do. It's a picture of what Herod did with the temple is a picture of what we often do to try to create our own environment. We try to beautify ourselves and try to be enough, try to act like we have enough. It's what Herod tried to do with the temple. We can go, I know, I know, preacher, I'm supposed to get my life right. No. That is not the gospel. Hear this. That is not the message of the God who hung on the cross. I know, preacher, I need to get my life right. No, that's not what the Lord's asking right now. That's not how it works. Scripture would say this of us, every one of us. Our righteousness is this filthy rags. I don't have anything to bring to the Lord. I've got nothing. I've got brokenness. I've got faults and failures. And Jesus on the cross is beckoning us to bring that to him this morning. Bring your brokenness Bring the emptiness, bring the nothingness. There isn't enough beautifying we can do in our lives. There's not enough righteousness we can drum up for ourselves. There's not enough cool sermons we can preach. There's not enough cool uh, uh, service projects and mission projects we can do in order to be okay, to be accepted, to be made right. There's not enough doing to be made right. It's simply to be with and in the presence of God through Christ. Acts 7, the first martyr ever, one killed for the name of Jesus, his man named Stephen, and he's making a declaration to those that were coming against him. In Acts 7, 48, he says, yet the most high does not dwell in houses made by hands. Meaning not just, by the way, temples and buildings, but the most high doesn't dwell in places where you and I try to construct and make ourselves okay and clean ourselves up and try to construct some way that we can be okay with God. We can make all our best attempts to try to be awesome for God. And the Lord's saying, I don't want that. I want the temple in you, my son. The eternal temple, the lamb that was slain, in you, to change you, to work in you. That is the one thing that can hold the beauty of God, the Son of God. He's the temple. 
And so he gets to stand before every one of us and just say, hey, what measly curtain is keeping you from the fullness of a life with him? What dumb, insignificant, broken curtain is holding you back from like full joy and peace in Christ? He's ready this morning even to take it and tear it down. Top to bottom, his work, not ours. Comparison, we all do that really well. Never measure up to the person across the room. Never be as famous or wealthy or as happy or pretty as that person. Diction, you know the secret? You know the little secret? We're all addicts. That's what I've discovered, by the way. It might not be a substance, but every one of us has something we just constantly try to fine to make ourselves okay. Sometimes it's codependency in relationships. Sometimes it is substances. We have all these little things we're circling through trying to be okay. And the Lord's saying, you don't have to do that any longer. Maybe your past is the curtain. You messed up too much. You've gone and done too many bad things. You don't deserve God's presence, by the way, as if anyone does. Your failures, your marriage is a mess, your kids are a mess, your work is a mess. We have all these curtains and the Lord's ready to tear each one of them. 10,000 curtains you and I could try to construct. None of them can contain the power of God to overcome and make you and I alive. Not just theologically alive, I mean Monday morning alive having life in us coursing through our veins and life to give away to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and our roommates and our spouses and our children, life. That's who he is when the temple comes to live in you. That's what he's calling us to. God came in sending his son to tear it down and to tell you, you get to now be the place for the holy of holies. And of course, he didn't just tear the veil, and I love that picture, but we also get another little picture that God gave to us because he had this other little act of love. He rolled the stone away. He tore the veil and he rolled the stone away. Listen, if God wanted to come out of the grave the stone, Jesus could have sat there like Superman with his hands folded, all right, the this, this, this stone right in place. There were so many cool theatrical ways God could have showed it, but what he did is this. He rolled the stone away and said, listen, the veil is the thing that keeps you separated from the power and the presence of God, the goodness of having, actually having a relationship with your maker. But the stone is the thing that says you're gonna be stuck forever. The stone is the thing that says, listen, your life's dead and you're not going anywhere. I can guarantee you that lie is the broken thing that comes forward all the time, but God rolled the stone away. That's what we're celebrating even today. Luke 24, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. He rolled it away to say, listen, nothing, nothing can keep you in the grave the enemy wants you buried. The enemy wants you buried. Let me say it again. The enemy wants you buried, stuck, broken, dead emotionally, dead spiritually, dead physically, dead. 
God rolled the stone away to say, nothing can contain my son. And for anyone who's in my son, nothing can contain you. Death has lost its sting. That's what he has. If you feel stuck or you feel held or you feel like I'm not moving or your circumstances stink or that you're frustrated, God rolled the, sun, the stone away and brought his son to life again. And that's what he does for you and me. And we can live in the fullness of it. That's where the enemy wants to take us and the Lord's trying to say, hey, there's power, power, power that comes from the resurrection. It's not a beautiful and neat thing that happened 2,000 years ago. It is a right now and ever-present truth of the Son of God, and he's offering it hands open to anyone that will have it. And again, we're all looking for 10,000 ways to be loved, and God, your creator, the one in whose image you have been made, he's saying, I am right here and ready we have an awesome, incredible lady in our church, and we just asked her to share her story. She's just like you and me. She has a messy past and a messy life, just like every one of us. But she's got a beautiful story. She's experienced that same invitation, by the way, of the enemy, that lie of the enemy, just to keep believing untruth that you're never gonna ever overcome. You'll always be stuck. You'll never be able to rise up. And I just want you to hear her story and see what God has done in her heart and that he might do in ours. You guys take a look. Stacy, I'm from Franklin, Tennessee, originally from Northern California. What kind of the main struggle that I've struggled with in my walk with God is having a performance-based mentality. Under, you know, I understand that I'm saved by grace, but then my day-to-day -day standing with, with before God, if I'm doing things the way I think I ought to, then I feel God's nearness. If I feel like a failure, then I feel distant. And I've had you know, some big failures in my, in my life. About three or four years ago, God brought to my mind a memory from when I was five and felt like he was saying, I wanna bring healing you know, to this area. And I could see how that trauma that had happened at five was somehow related to these big struggles that I've had. Um, I think it was the first night of our community group and Megan and Keith showed up and immediately, you know, Megan and I just dumped into a conversation and went deep really quickly. And she was sharing with me about her trauma from her childhood and how she had received a lot of healing. And so I was so curious, what did that healing look like? You know, what? What did you do? And so she said, basically, when we experience trauma, the enemy speaks a lie over us. And we believe that lie and we accept that lie as truth. And so part of the healing process, identifying the lie and then speaking God's truth to that lie. And so I went away that night thinking about that, just wondering and woke up in the morning, woke up and it was as clear as day. Oh my gosh, that's a lie. Basically the lie, you know, I would read through Proverbs and I would read about, you know, the promiscuous woman or the adulterous woman. And, and it, instead of seeing it as a caution of what not to be, I would feel like, 
that, that's me. I, I would walk into a church and feel this fear of like, they see who you really are. And I just thought it was a struggle for me, a temptation. Lived with this fear that this side of me could come out, you know, at any, at any time and would try to keep it, you know, at bay. And that morning when I woke up, I was like, that is a lie. That is not who I am. And God just spoke to me, no, you are my daughter. You are my redeemed daughter. That is not who you are. And man, it was, the power was broken, broken. I said to Megan later, Man, one conversation with you was better than eight years of therapy because I, I had done a lot of therapy back in Northern California. Now now the enemy tries to speak that to me and I just refute it with, uh-huh, that is not who I am. And this is the part that's becoming so, just that I haven't gotten all these years. Not only As if it wasn't good enough that we're forgiven. He says, my righteousness is now your righteousness. That's how I see you. And that's what's been fresh, what God has been doing. Um, I didn't, I didn't get that before. I would understand, you know, that, yeah, I'm, I'm forgiven. But I didn't understand the concept. Not only am I forgiven, but his righteousness is attributed to me. That's how I can come before him with freedom and with confidence um, just knowing that no he sees me as righteous because of what Christ has done and that has made all the difference in the world amen isn't that incredible that's our story that's our story every one of us might have different details, but that's all of us. There's a lie that you have a curtain or you've got a stone that can't be dealt with, that God can't overcome. That maybe for her on the screen, but not for me. And the Lord just wants to say, whatever curtain stands between you and the Lord, he's here in Christ to tear it apart. Whatever stone is holding you back, it is time for it to be rolled away. And here's the thing. The only thing that can move the stone and tear the curtain is an open hand that says, Lord, have your way in me. Not anything you can do. It's not anything you can manufacture. It is simply a humble heart that would come before God and say, have your way in me, change me. If you're here in this room and you breathe, hear this, you have a design and purpose on your life. And there is no question that the enemy would love to keep you locked down. And the son of God went to the cross and into the grave and he came out alive so that you and I do not have to be stuck in purposeless life. 
but have the fullness and fruit of everything that comes from him. I love, by the way, what Stacy said at the end. Yeah, it's so great to be forgiven. Amen, we all need forgiveness. But hear this, God has forgiven you, but not just forgiven. In Christ, when you and I say yes to him, he gives you his righteousness. And now the holy of holies is in you. Come on. The holy of holies is in you. And that's for the here and now, but that is also forever. Church, that's what we need. That's what the world is so desperate for. We're we're clamoring for stupid things. And God is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy, and I will give you rest for your soul. Lord, we just wanna come and receive that. We have a few minutes left. And so we're just gonna take this opportunity to be before you. Because at the end of the day, we're not here for just singing songs or for a sermon. We're just here for you. Jesus, you're the one. You went to the cross and you went in that grave. God, you tore that veil and you moved that stone. So we don't want to live stuck any longer. And I think that the Lord's ready to just move some, tear some curtains today. If you're here this morning, I just, I said, I'm not going to ask you to come up. I'm not going to ask you to talk to me. But you feel this morning, the Lord's ready to tear some curtains. We're all praying. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Again, I'm not here to embarrass you, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what God is doing. If there's a curtain, you sense the Lord's ready to just tear. Maybe it's a new one. Maybe it's an old one. And the Lord's here to tear the curtain. Say, God, I'm asking you just to tear the curtain and open me up to life again. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. That's me today. Be afraid. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. And there are some of you that there's a curtain there because you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. You've never asked him to save you. You've never asked him to come and cover you. You've never given him or opened your hand and to give him your sin and never opened your hand to receive his righteousness. Heads are bowed. If that's you, would you just say, lift your hand and say, I want Jesus to come into my life and to make me new, to change me, and to give me his fullness. Thank you. Lord, we're coming to you with our hands open. Would you remove the curtain now in Jesus' name, right now? Whatever that curtain is, I want you just to name it. Whether you raise your hand or not, name it. Tear it down, God. Tear it down. I'm coming to you. My Savior, my friend, my Redeemer, my Rock, my God. And just now receive the fullness of righteousness. Right now, let me just want to speak it over you. You have, if you're willing to pray that prayer, you have the righteousness of God on you right now. Hear that. The Holy of Holies in you. He's here. He receives you. He forgives and he gives life. Receive it again. 
We thank you, God, for having your way in our lives. We keep giving you our lives and whatever curtain may try to weave itself in front of us and whatever stone may try to trap us, we say no and we say yes to the fullness of life that you have for each one of us. We receive it again in the mighty, powerful, beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Church, can we say thank you, Lord, for what he's doing in our lives, amen? You guys stand with me. We're just gonna finish this morning making a declaration of his goodness, being reminded of all that he is and has done and declaring the victory that we have in Christ. God, give us grace as we finish this morning just worshiping you. Jesus, our Redeemer and Savior, friend, we love you. Amen.